Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We continue in our worship of you. We thank you for that worship and song and the worship of finances. What a blessing, Lord, to see young people serving you on a college campus. And we do pray for revival, Lord. We know it's one heart at a time, one individual at a time. And Father, we continue our worship of you by just commanding our souls, our minds to be at rest via the Holy Spirit, to take every thought captive. Maybe we're anxious about something that took place this past week, or maybe we're nervous about what's going to take place this coming week. Father, you already know. And so we just thank you and praise you for that knowledge that we can trust you, as your word says, you work all things together for the good. You have a plan in our lives individually, in our marriages, in our families, in the church corporately. Father, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing. I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, last week... Paul was showing the Christians at Corinth that those who were trying to take them back to following the law were wrong for doing that. Why? Because the law, as well as the Old Testament, was a shadow, a shadow of things to come. You see, the Messiah was casting forth a shadow in the Old Testament. The Messiah fulfilled over 300 prophecies. They were shadows. They were looking for the Messiah. The disciples were looking for the Messiah. Messiah, Hebrew, the anointed one. Uh, New Testament, Christ, the anointed one. Exact same verbiage. They were looking for the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled those scriptures. So now they, they knew then after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and in them, now they understood. They could look back and go, now I understand the shadow because I see the object of the shadow. I see Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But let's go back to verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so the law, the word of God, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Paul asks a very simple question. You now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. He covered that in 1 Corinthians. You now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. How could it not be more glorious than the law? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, remember, the law is our schoolmaster, our tutor, to show us that we're sinners in need of a Savior, which is very grieving. But yet we have that hope through forgiveness of receiving Christ that we've been always 
totally forgiven, as we sang this morning in the third song. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So we had that, you can get the CD from last week. It's a comparison, the law, Jesus, law, Jesus, the law, Jesus. So now as we go into our text this morning, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. You see, there are those who speak boldly about the law. And if you don't think this is true, you open the door to them. They're out ambitiously knocking on doors, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. And they'll tell you, you're wrong. Well, I believe in the Bible. Well, so do we. And by the way, you're wrong. Oh, I didn't know I was wrong. That takes a lot of boldness. Yet these verses are showing us once again that we are not under the law. So as we go over, we're going to go over some various verses. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And keep that in mind. We're talking about the law. Paul is instructing the law versus grace. Or you've been saved by faith, by grace through faith alone. So we should be the ones speaking boldly about the cross and the cross alone. Because the cross is the only hope of salvation. And by the way, just so you know, Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was crucified. We don't bash churches. We just try to speak the truth in love. If that's their doctrine, then you should know their doctrine. Colossians chapter 2, 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. So let no one judge you, take you back to a law. When I was, I was born and raised a Roman Catholic. So when I was growing up, we, we, we could only eat fish on Friday. I still can't figure that out. Can only eat fish on Friday. Okay, I guess that's going to make me more holy. So that's what I'm going to do. This is what this is talking about. Don't let anybody judge you. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ, of the Messiah, of the anointed one, whom we know is Jesus. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, like the angel Moroni intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. If you only join our church, then you'll get to the third heaven, maybe the second, maybe you'll make it to the first, but I doubt it because you weren't born and raised a Mormon, but at least you'll get to the third heaven. Hmm, no. And not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus, from whom all the body, which would be the church. There is only one church. Now we have different churches, different denominations, but there is only one church. 
nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Hebrews chapter 8, the whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 8. Again, keeping this in mind, there are people that you deal with that want to bring you into the law. They want to bring you into the law. Now, it might not be the Ten Commandments, per se, or the 613 Commandments of Judaism, but they want you to bring you under the law of their church, whatever that law might be. Man-made requirements. Hebrews 8. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. I personally, Paul wrote this. We know the Holy Spirit inspired it, so I wouldn't argue with you. But as you read the whole letter, it's pretty convincing. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Who is the one there? Jesus. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator. Again, who's the he, he, he? This is Jesus. Jesus is a mediator, not God. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them... He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because, why? Here's the problem. Because they did not continue in my covenant. Even as a Roman Catholic, I could not fulfill all the obligations of the church. It was impossible. God would never love me. If I couldn't fulfill it all, how could God love me? It's religion, religion, religion. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. The word, you know, when you see hearts there, it's your soul. Before you knew Jesus, I don't know what you're like. If you want to share your testimony sometime with me, you can do that. Feel free. But I bet you weren't living the way you are living now as a Bible-believing Christian. What changed? The Holy Spirit came in you, and the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, started to convict you, and you started to realize through that relationship, I don't want to do that anymore. That's disappointing to the Father. And I don't want to disappoint the Father. He loves me, and I love Him. It supernaturally takes place. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And we thank God for that. If you're today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're unrighteous. You're not right with God. You need Jesus as your Savior. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 
in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Back in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So I already read those verses, but look at verse seven, because it ties back in with verse seven. If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. See, notice again that the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us specifically why Moses put a veil over his face. The law was their tutor and it was done away with by the cross of Christ. The shadow is now crystal clear. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. 14 and 15. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ, in the anointed one, in the Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus. I have that last part highlighted because the veil is taken away in Christ. Don't argue religion with someone who comes and knocks at your door. Don't argue Joseph Smith. Don't argue the founders. Take them to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Well, that's not what we believe. I know that's not what you believe. I know that you don't believe that. But this is what the Bible says. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Plant that seed in their mind that they might come to know who truly Jesus is. Don't argue about their religion. It's pointless. It's useless. So what Paul does here uh, in 14 and 15, but even to this day when Moses read, a veil lies on their heart. He uses a physical analogy and Paul applies a spiritual principle. Unfortunately, even though they had the law right in front of them, guys, they're reading the Old Testament. To this day, they read the Old Testament. They love God. I'm not shaming them. I'm not ridiculing them. They, They have a love for God. There are many religious people that have a love for God. Having a love for God will not get you into heaven. Having Jesus as your personal savior will get you into heaven. Having a love for God will not get you into heaven. It doesn't cover your sins. The blood does not cover your sins. They couldn't understand the relationship. You see, Moses had a relationship with God and it was that relationship that God wanted with all of them individually and that's what every religion per, religious person misses when they hear the law or try to fulfill their religious obligations. And it's sad. As you think about that, as I talk with Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or a religious person, it's like beating your head against a wall. But you still got to plant those seeds. Still got to water. Still want to fertilize. The Holy Spirit's doing a work. We don't know when it might boom, where the fruit might pop. So be aware of that. They're missing it because they're focusing on their own religiosity. When the Jews read the Old Testament, there's a veil over their heart, their soul. Again, because they are still looking to the law and the fulfilling of commandments to save them. 
They were not looking to Christ alone who fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Titus, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things which we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. Not through Calvary Chapel, through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous or being right with God and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. We will inherit eternal life. Verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, Paul is dealing very specifically with the Jews here. He's addressing the Jews to the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians, the veil has been removed. But this applies to Jew or Gentile. Jew or Gentile. Again, let's read it again. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When a person hearts, when a person's heart turns to the Lord, then the Holy Spirit lifts that veil and the whole word of God starts to make sense. Before I accepted Jesus, the Bible didn't make any sense at all. I was just going through the ritual. Because my understanding was based upon what? Religious works. But once I became born again, the Holy Spirit came within me and clarified my new position in Christ. A bunch of verses. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And again, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get a Bible, have a Bible. Encourage you especially to have a paper Bible. I know electronics is much easier. But when they shut your phone off, you're going to wish that you had your paper Bible. That'll never happen. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. John 16, I still have many things to say to you. This is the night before our Lord's crucifixion for you new believers. These are the final hours that he's spending with his disciples. But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, now just so you know that he here is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referencing, as you study the word of God, you will see he's referencing the Holy Spirit. When he is come, the, Holy, the spirit of truth has come, he will, notice that, he will guide you into all truth. We're having an issue with truth nowadays. It's very grieving how this administration proclaimed the adults are now in office and we believe in science. But when you ask them a scientific question that is definitely yes or no, they do a song and dance to not answer the question. But we have the truth. We're made in God's image. And God created us as what? Male and female. Young people, he created us male and female. That's it. And that's the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. Again, just staying in the context, who is this? Jesus, the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? He's, he's testifying of Jesus. 
You're a sinner in need of a Savior. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. The cross will save you. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Do you guys see something in those verses? The triunity of the Godhead. The triunity of the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not the Trinity. You might be new to Christianity, so I just want to share this with you. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. And the Jehovah Witnesses will try to trip you up with that. They'll say, well, the Trinity is not in the Bible, so it's not real. Okay, I'll give that to you. Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Oh, by the way, the word Jehovah is not in the Bible, so you're not real. Don't come after me with your Bible after and say, yes, it's right here. No, it's not. It's not in the original text. To this day, an Orthodox Jew will not write out the name of God. Be a, a G and a D. They will not write G-O-D. It is too holy to cross their lips. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. How about 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16? 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 16. And again, it's so important that you know the word of God. And that's why we cross-reference. You don't need a feel-good study. My role as a pastor in Ephesians says, train up the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is here on Sunday morning, but it's also 24-7 in your lives with your neighbors, your coworkers, somebody at the store, when you cross paths. Please don't say, well, if you could only talk to my pastor. Wrong, 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 wrong. You take them to Jesus. Wherever you are, you take them to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, this was Jim in the flesh. Feel free to insert your name. Before you knew Christ, this is speaking of you. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Before the Holy Spirit was with him, I can get saved. No, 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 no. I was baptized as an infant. I'm saved. Mm, No. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit instructs us. How about Romans 15? Romans 15. So important that you know the word of God. As you know it and memorize the word of God and meditate on the word of God, you're taking on the mind of Christ. What did Jesus use against the devil in the three temptations in the wilderness? Did he ask for counselors? Did he ask for the latest book of psychology? Did he get down and pray? He quoted the word of God, word perfect. Because in Matthew, in the second temptation, the enemy used the word of God against Jesus. Can you imagine that? This created a fallen angel using the word of God against Jesus, but he misquoted it. The enemy will take things out of context. Religion will take things out of context and come knocking on your doors. Romans 15, we then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. The word edification, building up. 
Building up, not tearing down, building up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, the cross. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The daily reading for us today was Matthew chapter 24. Uh, If that's not your daily reading, I encourage you to go home and read Matthew chapter 24. Because the disciples were leaving the temple area. They were on the Mount of Olives, which we'll be at next March. And they said to Jesus, look at that temple. Jesus said, it's going to be wiped out. I'm paraphrasing. Read yourself, Matthew 24. It's going to be wiped out. There won't be one stone left upon another. When's this going to happen? And then Jesus goes into a discourse of when that's going to happen, but also when the abomination of desolation is going to be set up in the holy place, which tells me there has to be a temple built on the temple mount, and it will take place. And it's getting very, very close. In Israel today, they have all the implements, all the implements to start sacrificing. They're just waiting for that one man who's going to give them the green light to build the temple. Verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3. So you want to keep your head in the scriptures. So when you see our president go over and say to Israel or to the Palestinians, you need two states and they need to go back to the 67 borders. It is not going to happen. So don't freak out. God's got a plan, but they are not going back to 67 borders. Second Peter chapter 3, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you, as also in all his epistles. Notice what Peter does. This is his final writing. This is the last letter we have of Peter. This is his last exhortation. And what does he say about Paul? What Paul is writing is scripture. You'll see. As in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable unstable people twist to their own destruction. That's religion. That's religion. You just saw religion right there. Taking the scriptures, twisting them, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. I believe the Holy Spirit, through Peter, was equating Paul's writings to scriptures. Again, I wouldn't argue with you over that. That's the way I see it. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. This is not talking about losing your salvation. You cannot do that if you're truly saved. Being led away by the error of the wicked. So don't follow the wicked. Follow the word of God. But grow. So what's his, what's his final exhortation? What would be your final exhortation if you had one sentence that you could tell, you're on your deathbed, you're, you know you're going quickly, what would be your final exhortation to that individual? I, I don't think it gets any better than this. But grow in the grace 
and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't think you can get any better than that. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Back in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Again, we'll read 16. Nevertheless, Paul's going over all these things and he says, nevertheless, here's the answer. Here's the answer. They're blind. Jew or Gentile, we're blind. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, once the veil is removed, as I've already shared about my life with receiving Jesus as my Savior and the Holy Spirit coming within me, you start to realize you, did, you don't need to meet certain codes of a law or ordinances of a church system. Now, we remain Roman Catholics for seven years. I'd be reading my Catholic Bible, which is exactly the same as your New Testament Bible, exactly the same. I was reading through my New Testament, reading through, reading through the old, reading through the new, reading, reading, reading. And I came up with errors of our church and I would go to the priest and I'd have conversations with them. And he said, there, there, young man, church teaching supersedes the Bible. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And at 25, I finally had to say, so if there's a contradiction, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, but you're saying we can pray to Mary? And to other dead saints, I'm supposed to believe you over our Bible? Sorry. And we had to leave. So, you know, there could be people that are saved in some denominations. Just encourage them, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And as they keep reading their Bible, they're going to come out of that. They will come out of it because the truth will set them free. They don't need to meet certain codes or of a law or ordinance of a church system in order for God to love you. You see, the Holy Spirit starts to show you how much God has always loved you. He reveals to you that you've been saved by grace through faith alone. Romans eleven six says this, and if by grace, then it is no more works. It's almost a tongue twister. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if, if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. <laughs> you get it, right? You see, a person can't have it both ways. There is liberty, freedom, freedom. There is liberty and grace, which is represented by the Spirit. And as I mentioned last week, this doesn't give the believer the freedom to go out and sin nor, for, for God forbid, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you see, the Spirit helps us to realize that I don't have to produce work for salvation. These are little words that have huge meanings right here, guys. Look at, look at this. These are little words that have huge meanings. When the Mormon comes and knocks on your door, the Jehovah Witness or any religious person tries to get you to convert to their religion, it's all based on works. It's all based on works. It's all based on numbers. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, helps us to realize that I don't have to produce works for salvation. I have the privilege to produce works of salvation. I get to serve God. I get to store up treasure in heaven. 
I get to do this. I'm literally serving the one who spoke it all into being. Or I don't have to produce fruit for salvation. I supernaturally produce fruit of salvation. That's a totally different perspective. You have religion on one hand, you have grace on the other. Which one are you going after? It's very, very important. This is yet another verse that shows us that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3, it is the Spirit that takes up physical residence within the believer and will now guide the believer through this life, now making it personal. It is the Spirit that shows me that I'm free to do whatever I want to do because I'm not under the law anymore. Galatians 5, Galatians 5. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Like, can, we make that, can we make this applicable to today? I have liberty because I'm a Christian. I'm engaged. I have liberty to have sex with my fiance. We're going to get married. And oh, by the way, we're married in God's eyes anyways. It's just a piece of paper. Wrong. That's the flesh. You're not married. That's the flesh. So yes, you have that liberty, but it's the liberty of what? Your flesh. It's not the liberty of the spirit. God's not going to bless it. But through love, serve one another, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So young men, always remember this, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's not loving to make your fiance a prostitute. Now let that sink in. You're having sex before marriage, Paul says, you're making your fiance, your girlfriend, a prostitute. That's not loving. It's not godly. So guys, the Bible is very, very applicable, but you need to be reading all of it so that the Holy Spirit can minister to you so you do things in love, so that you truly do love your girlfriend and love your fiance. You see, the Bible will not teach us about using grace for our own selfish desires. Rather, The Bible teaches us that grace is a total reliance upon the Holy Spirit and that he is going to lead us into a deeper love relationship with the Heavenly Father. You see, the Holy Spirit will never lead us into sin, ever. The Holy Spirit will never do that. It's impossible for him to do that since he is a part of the Godhead. But I'm free to do whatever I'd like to do. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me. Here he goes. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Medicinal marijuana. Oh boy, now I'm stepping on some toes maybe. There's nothing medicinal about it. If you want to talk science, there's nothing medicinal about it. It's all it does, it deadens the pain receptors. It's all it does. But if you want to believe that, go ahead. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Don't disengage your brain. I did a lot of marijuana. It fried my brain, 13, 14, 15. I got a two-week memory at best. It fried my brain. I'm talking about personal experience here. Don't go under the power of it. Don't go under the power of pornography. Don't go under the power of prescription drugs, getting addicted to painkillers. This is real, guys. This is happening in the church as well as out of the church. To young people as well as older saints. No one is exempt until you take your last breath. 
then we'll say, hey, he's done. He's never going to sin ever again. How about 1 Corinthians 10? Therefore, for me, uh, therefore, whether you eat or drink. So what's the answer? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. There's three groups of people on the face of the earth, unsaved Jews, unsaved Greeks or Gentiles, and then saved Greeks and Gentiles, uh, Jews and Gentiles, three groups of people. Most of you are in the church, so you're the third group. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be what? Saved. You see, grace sets us free to do the works of God without the guilt associated with religion and trying to meet certain codes or laws. It's totally liberating. You know, I'm 62, so I just picked it up over the last five decades because I didn't remember a whole lot before then. Over the last five decades in America, we've seen the free love movement. How many of you were alive during the free love movement? You old people, raise your hands. You're, yes, you are old. We know that. Yeah, Tony reluctantly. Okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> Was it love? Free sex. Because I love you, baby. I just love you. We've seen the women's movement. How's that going today? How's the women's movement going today? I'm not sure this administration knows what a woman is. No, I'm not. I'm not they're the ones admitting it. And they're trying to pass bills to totally wipe out the women's movement. No, we know what women are. The Word of God tells us what women are. How about the civil rights movement? Well, the Bible tells us there's one, crea- there's one race. It's called the human race. We're all created equal. Yeah, we might have different shades of color, but we're all created equal. Nobody's above the, another person. The Bible clearly tells us this, these things. Then the gay and lesbian movement came along. And now most, the most destructive of all the gender slash transgender movement attacking children even in preschool to question their biological sex. It's from the pit of hell. It is from the pit of hell. You see, each one of these attack movements were a direct attack on God's word and a nation can, no, can go no longer. When we start doing this, when we start causing children to question what God has designed, God's judgment is upon this land and unless this nation repents, we'll be removed from this land. You see, that's a promise from God's word. Leviticus 18 says this, do not defile yourselves with any of these things for by all these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you. This is when the Israelites were gonna go into the promised land. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. No movement can do what God has already done. You see, God is extending peace to all of mankind through the precious blood of Jesus. And when a person receives Jesus, then true liberty or freedom starts to take place. Back in, uh, as we wrap it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. So now that I know I'm set free from the law and its requirements, I can now start to look into the grace 
and see how grace can transform my life. But how do I do that? By reading the word of God and seeing the attributes of God on display, but most importantly, through the example of Jesus. How did Jesus deal with people? How did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus take care of his disciples? How did Jesus deal with the religious elites? Did Jesus spend time in prayer? Did Jesus take time to reach out to others? You see, the more I open my heart and seek after the ways of Jesus, the more I take on the ways of Jesus. You see, a physical mirror, and I bet every single one of you looked in the mirror this morning. I can guarantee you, as the music team comes up, every single one of you looked in a mirror, and you did something with what you saw. (laughs) Some of us don't have to do much, but we all did something. You saw a reflection and you saw, boy, something needs to be transformed. This is bad. The word of God reveals who I am as well, my heart, my soul. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just has to say, you know what? That's bad. That's bad, Jim. And as all as I can say is, you're right. I need to repent. I need to be more like Jesus. But if I spend my time focusing on my career, focusing on my hobbies, focusing on football, basketball, hockey, sports, etc., even if I spend my time focusing on my family, I will not become more like Jesus. I might become rich. I might become really good at fishing or golfing. I might be able to spew out facts and figures about athletes. I might even be known as a fun dad. But the big question when it comes to the last service that my family and friends will be at, it's called a memorial service. A few of those questions will be, was that person a good representative or ambassador of Jesus? Guys, that's what it's all about at the end of the day when somebody's presiding over our memorial service, which we had last week for Tom, and person after person after person got up and talked about Tom and how he loved Jesus, how he loved the word, and how he would ask people on a regular basis, have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? It was a great testimony. What a testimony. What a great time. Did they leave behind a godly example in which someone could actually emulate? And emulate means to equal or excel. Paul said that, didn't he? In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say follow me. Don't follow me. That, that would be bad. But if you see something in me that exemplifies Christ, then follow that. That's Paul, that was Paul was saying. Follow me as I follow Christ. The rest of it, please forgive me. Don't mess with it. You see, that's, all, that's important for all of us to think about. Come on up, see? I meditate on that we're all being transformed into the image of something. We're all being transformed. I'm going to borrow this from you. Into the image of something. So what are you being transformed into? Or what have you been transformed into? Maybe you've spent the last 30, 40, 50 years being transformed into something. And you might think, well, it's too late for me. It's never too late. It's never too late. 
to become more like Jesus, which means you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die, and that's never fun. Never fun to die, but it's the best thing that you can do. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your word, and that we don't have to do this on our own. God, I thank you so much for I fell so short when I was trying to do it on my own, being religious. It was a disaster. But through your Holy Spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit, the continual renewing of the Holy Spirit, what a work the Holy Spirit does. So Father, I pray for myself, for all of us, Lord, that we would re-surrender our lives to your work of your Holy Spirit. Whatever that looks like in our own individual lives, young people, Older saints, single, married, children, no children, grandchildren, whatever that looks like, Father, you do the work. We want to be on the wheel so that you'll shape and mold the clay into that vessel that is worthy of the master's use. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.